Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Fishing Net Show. I am your host, Michael Gonzalez, and let's see what the catch of the day is. Now, as I can see here, we do have special guest, JU's own provost, Dr. Christine Sapienza, and of course, JU's own Dean of Students, Dr. Christy Gover. Now, let's go see what they have in store for us today. As provost of a university, the, the main responsibilities revolve around all of the academic offerings on campus. Mm. So when you reflect on that, we have four colleges, what make, right, how they're evaluated, not only inside of the university, but also by peers outside of the university. So the provost's main responsibility is to make sure operationally all of the academic offerings are occurring with high quality. And so from there, you have to be able to select the right faculty, the right instructors, right? You have to make sure that the facilities that you're teaching in uh, are appropriate, whether that's classrooms or laboratories. And so all of that kind of falls under the main operational plan for how a university runs with regard to content delivery. So that, that is the role of a provost. And there's a lot of people that report to the provost to make all of that work, including everything from individuals who run your academic tutoring center to your library to your Office of Research and Sponsored Programs to those who keep track of your, your student outcomes and student analytics. Mm. And so it's a big job. Um, and uh, you'll find a provost on every university campus who does things just like I do. Thank you, Dr. Appreciate it. Uh, working in tandem and in collaboration with Dr. Sapienza as the Vice President for Student Affairs and Dean of Students, I'm responsible for the experience outside the classroom. So the student learning that occurs outside the classroom, campus safety and security, our residential life areas, student counseling center, dining, and making sure that students are getting the experience outside the classroom that complements the learning that takes place inside the classroom. Hmm. All right. So now... I would like to go on to the question of the from how you got to the position. Um, so the background between the person. I would like to dive into the the story, the journey, or how you woman became to this. How you got to the position you are before to, to now. The story about how I became a provost yes. really starts from when I began attending college. Mm -hmm. So it, when you sort of dream about taking the role of a university professor, you have to aspire to pursuing higher levels of college education. Mm -hmm. So you do that first, and, and that typically culminates in, a, in what's called a, a doctoral level education. And so I have a, mm -hmm. a PhD. And with that PhD, then you make a commitment to be a, a university faculty member, a, a teacher at mm -hmm. the university level. I did that for about uh, 10 years, and I was working inside the classroom as a traditional faculty member. And then I became interested in what it would be like to run a department. Mm -hmm. So I became a department chair of a pretty large unit, and at the time I was working at the University of Florida doing that. And then uh, I left the University of Florida. I came to Jacksonville University to open up some new programs, and I was tapped to run a college. And so when you run a college, you become what's called a dean mm -hmm. of the College of Health Care Sciences was what I was asked to do. And after doing that for about six years, um, I was then asked to 
have oversight over all academic programs on the Jacksonville University campus, and that's what you call a provost. So mm-hmm. it really is a pretty traditional um, hierarchy of how people move through um, academic um, promotion, uh, and I chose to do that. And so that's a pretty good description of how I got where I, where I am now. Thank you. Yeah, stu- students spend about 75% of their college experience outside the classroom. And much like Dr. Sapienza in my college experience, um, that's really where I was introduced to the world of student affairs and that there was an architect behind the experience for students. Uh, Think about your RA. Um, Your RA is part of the Division of Student Affairs. And I went to school at the University of Louisville in Kentucky where I was very involved on campus, involved in the orientation program as an orientation leader, fraternity and sorority life. Um, and residential life. I worked in residential life as well and, uh, and worked in the admissions office as my work-study job. So I went on to graduate school to get a degree in college student personnel or higher education administration, as it's called on many campuses. Um, worked at the University of South Carolina for a few years in their residential life area, overseeing a residence hall with 650 freshman women. And I think you get to see a little bit of everything from the opportunity to support students through a counseling uh, and mental health and helping them be successful in that transition to celebrating their successes and planning programs and, um, and connecting with them in meaningful ways. And that led me to Jacksonville University where I've been for almost 18 years now. And I started here as the director of residential life actually lived in the house on campus and um, and spent many years as the director of residential life and then assistant dean of students here. I've always had a passion for working with international students. And uh, one of my roles here as the assistant dean of students was also as the international student advisor and have since just continued that love and passion for working with international students, working with students, helping them grow and develop and recognize the opportunity here. And one of the things that makes Jacksonville University so special for me in my role is unlike the larger institutions where I worked, you really have the opportunity in student affairs at a small private university to get to know students from literally orientation to graduation. And you get to play a role in that growth and development of the people and the students all throughout that course of their experience and helping them take advantage of the leadership opportunities that we have here and the opportunities to engage with one another and connect. And, th- and that's how I, how I found my passion for my work um, and, and my love for Jacksonville University. Well, thank you very much for those incredible responses. Um, now, I would like to compare, if it's all right with you, woman, um, to the shifts in differences from this year to a regular year. So just that being said, like what changes about your position or what what kind of things are opened up or are these new opportunities or closed opportunities happen uh, as a comparison from, uh, let's say, last year to this year? When, when COVID hit, yeah. In, in March of 2020 and, and even preceding that. But when we really, as a, as a team on, on the university campus, had to respond to COVID being present in the United States and, yeah. and starting to see the effects of the, of the virus, I feel like we, we almost became an emergency response team. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it changed what we normally 
do in our job situations to having to re to to work together to create a new operational plan, right? For the benefit of of our students uh, and for the safety and wellness of our entire community. And and I think you know that was challenging. Uh, nobody trains you to do that. And so we, we leaned on each other, um, and, and I think Dr. Gover and I played a role in, in um, leading those teams because we had to shift how we were going to offer our academics, right? And we also had to shift, and I'm sure Dr. Gover will talk about it, uh, what life was going to be like on a campus for a student you know, coming back here. Um, after our recess um, from returning home uh, for the COVID crisis. So that, it, that included uh, shifting the academic calendar. And I think the major shift that you saw happen nationally was how you were going to deliver courses. Because we knew that we could no longer be in big groups. We couldn't fill auditoriums with the students. We couldn't be in close proximity with each other. We had to be in a mask-wearing, sort of socially distanced condition and then work on protocols that would, would help train uh, our entire community on how to keep the, the virus at, at bay, you know, from being a contagion, right? And so the biggest uh, change was how to offer those classes, at least in, in my job. The biggest uh, uh, change was how do you platform that so the students still feel like they're engaged in their university life, that they haven't, they're not sitting just inside of a box you know, whether that be the box inside of their home or the box inside of their dorm, uh, and still feel like they're engaged with their faculty and engaged with their curriculum and, and experiencing college life. And so, um, you know, without getting into the, the, the details of all of that, that's what students began to experience was sort of this high flex model of education. And that's going to continue in the spring of uh, 2021. And so um, I think that, 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 that gathering up of your, of your administrative team leaders to create a solid uh, operational plan that brought safety. And then you have to realize too, even as you, as you uh, disseminate this to the, the, the Jacksonville community student, that there was so much work behind the scenes by your faculty to now have to prep their courses in a completely unique way that was gonna be able to be tailored to this, some students virtually, some students in class, or maybe having to create a fully online platform. So a tremendous amount of work that went behind it in a very, very short period of time to prepare ourselves to be ready. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, almost preparing one class is like preparing two classes. Um, because you're preparing to teach online and in person. And from a student affairs perspective, of course, our, our primary considerations were the safety of our campus. So you put the health and safety of the students and faculty and staff at the center of the decisions that we're making, and you build around that. For me, we're looking at the residential community, so how do students live on campus um, safely in communal living spaces and in our residential communities? Um, and how do, how do students dine on campus? And then of course the interaction and engagement with one another. So think, thinking in terms of creating opportunities for students to connect with each other. Um, we're social beings and people have, students strongly communicated to us over and over again throughout the summer. They wanted to physically be back on campus. And we were committed to providing the opportunity for students 
if we could do it in a safe way. And I believe that we have demonstrated that with the partnership of our students and our faculty and staff, we've been able to create a safe community. Um, as of right now, I looked right before I walked in here, we have two active student cases of COVID and two active staff cases of COVID and zero um, faculty cases right now. That's today. We all know that can change before tomorrow. Um, in total, since COVID started, we have uh, had a total of 72 student cases, um, and that's dating back to March. So we've, we've really, and that, that credit goes to our students for um, taking all the necessary safety precautions. But essentially, like Dr. Sapienza said, we had to look at redesigning the operations of the university. And we did that with a very talented team of people over the course of the summer from all walks of the university and different departments. Um, and everyone had to sort of reimagine how they interacted with one another and with our students. And, um, and so we wanted to make sure that we, we provided some flexibility for students who needed that accommodation to live off campus or needed an accommodation to study online instead of in person. And the same for our faculty and staff who needed an accommodation to work differently than they had in the past um, and taking advantage of the technology that we put into place. But of course, as the Dean of Students, one of my primary concerns is making sure that students do have that connection with one another and with the university and looking at that in a more creative way than we have in the past. And I would say our residential life team, our RAs, our, our live-in um, professional staff, Jenny Boyer, um, our student engagement team have, um, have dedicated a lot of time and energy to making sure that we're providing oppor opportunities for students to make those connections in safe ways. And then of course it happens organically too. Um, students are certainly making connections with one another. We knew that would happen. We knew students would form their own sort of safe circles. Uh, some campuses are calling those pods. Some campuses are calling those quarantines. Um, and you know, you, you find your people that, you're, that you can kind of let your guard down with and that's okay. And we encourage them to make those connections. We just ask that as they move about campus, that they're always taking into consideration the other, other people around them and, um, and that how their behavior, whether on campus or off campus, can impact an entire community. And that's what community living is all about, is thinking about how your actions impact others. And uh, so far, knock on wood, we've had, we've had great success this semester. We have about three and a half weeks left to go. Um, I feel confident we'll be able to cross that finish line and, uh, and do so successfully. And I, I appreciate Dr. Sapienza's forethought into um, the academic calendar and how we're able to end the semester earlier than previous years so that students can have that additional time at home with their families um, during the, the time where COVID could potentially overlap with the flu season and, and maybe be, um, be home with their families during that time, but also have the opportunity to, to take advantage of taking classes during the winter term, yeah, which is fantastic. Important one, and I, 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 you know, kudos to Dr. Gover, too, because we all support each other, and, and now we, we've actually, by modifying the academic calendar, we have this winter term that's going to be starting, and it runs for six weeks. And we're already at 730 enrollments wow. just for the, for the winter term, which means that students still 
want to continue their studies. They may want to catch up on a course that they might be missing. Maybe there's even some that need to repeat a course. Whatever the, the, the necessary uh, reason is for them taking the course, this winter term, I think, provides opportunity in a fully online format for the students to, to enroll. So that's still open. That's going to be open, mm -hmm. you know, in, until this semester ends and a little bit beyond. And, um, you know, I hope the students will become engaged in that. So that was actually when you talked about, uh, you know, d there was disruption, but sometimes disruption ends up causing some positive outcomes. And I think we are seeing some of the positivity um, in our own operations that is is now allowing our university to do some things that we probably wouldn't have done if COVID hadn't come uh, amongst our community. And so winter term is one of them and how we think about our, our business planning and some of the other extensions that we want to have for our students. How do you how do you train students when when practicum sites and internship sites and, you know, certain businesses and hospitals don't, you know, allow the students to come in because they have different priorities, has brought us new ways of technology, has increased our simulation capabilities inside of laboratories and and inside of our health sciences programs. And, and we logarithmically jumped there because of COVID. And so I actually, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that we now have better technologies and tools for our students that it might have taken us years to get had COVID, uh, you know, not sort of forced our hand to have them. So that's a good thing. Right. Um, so now I I'd like to get to the point of, uh, I thank you very much for those responses, very kind. Um, now I was going to go to the point of the new normal. The new normal is that we have to make uh, small or big sacrifices from, you know, maybe in high school, um, you can't go on that annual field trip now because of covid or now you you have to social distance um it's it's very new procedures but um what what um are some sacrifices that we as a campus overcame some something that maybe some some students or faculty being like oh this is going to be completely different but it's a challenge i'm willing to overcome it's a challenge that it's we're not used to but it's something that we're going to have to start becoming a, a part of and adjust and adapt and keep growing as a community. Would you, if maybe you can, if you woman would like to tell me, uh, maybe some sacrifices that we as a campus overcame. Well, you know, it's a good question about sacrifices, so many sacrifices, so many. Um, and, and you alluded to, to some of those, right? Just being, uh, we lost community. We, you know, we lost the, the, the ability to gather close with each other, which I think um, is, is so much a big part of what makes up uh, JU's family. So that, that's a big sacrifice for us. And, and so, you know, how, how do you overcome that challenge? You know, you, you look to, to somebody like Dr. Gover to, to, to configure what now becomes the student experience. Um, you have to recognize, you know, the context of what you're living in, first of all, right? And, and then I think you have to pay very close attention to uh, once you identify what those sacrifices are, how does it affect the individual? Then how does it affect the, the unit? And then how does it affect your university, you know, vision and, and, and mission? And, and I think that's where, where the, the opportunity is to be creative. So how did, how did the faculty um, deal with that sacrifice? Uh, 
they started to become engaged into what I say, well, what's the next best thing? What can I do to make it the next best thing for the student? And uh, that creativity then I think became sort of the, the positive, you know, catalyst or outcome for um, how to deal with this, right? So it, it almost, it, it, it created um, sort of an art artistic uh, creativity around the sacrifice, like almost activating a part of the brain that needed to be activated because we were still, we always were stepping through the routine. But now you had to start to think outside of the box. And, and I think that's what's been so thrilling to see, not only from what the faculty are doing, but what the, how the students are responding to it. So, you know, in, in the historic aspects of life, we've gone through a lot of periods of time where sacrifices have occurred. This is one of them. So the, 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 I think what we're, we're going to come out on the better side. Mm. We're going to be stronger. We're going to have learned to be more creative. And we're going to you know, have developed a kindness and respect for each other um, because of COVID. Mm. And I think it's going to make the JU family even stronger than it was before COVID. I, I agree in the strength that will come from this. And I think also the appreciation for opportunities that we've had in the past and to really, uh, uh, you know, when, when we're able to get back to some more semblance of our previous normalcy, that we're going to really appreciate the opportunity to go to lunch with friends and take off your mask and not worry about, I don't know if I'm going to get that call a few days later that someone was sick um, or tested positive. And I, I think about our athletes and the sacrifices they've made to postpone their seasons and um, and not have the opportunity to compete at the level they signed up to compete at. and But they're working just as hard to prepare for that level of competition when the opportunity presents itself in the spring. And a, a real testament to them and their um, their commitment and perseverance to, to keep up with showing up to practice every day and um, and, you know, just pushing through so that they have the opportunity to compete in the spring. Same for our fine arts majors and, um, and performances in fine arts that hopefully we'll get to a point where we can, um, we can have onstage performances again and their family will be able to attend in person and watch them and enjoy that. Um, so really taking a moment to appreciate the things that we may have taken granted for granted in the past. Um, one example that comes to my mind is our fraternity and sorority community. We have about 300 students are engaged in our fraternity and sorority community. And they're, during the COVID planning process, we sort of we were watching national trends and how other campuses were handling recruitment. And then at some point, we had to make the call that it was going to be primarily mostly on um, virtual. And uh, our, our fraternity and sorority members are, tend to be very successful students. They're leaders across campus. They're successful academically. And they also are more likely to stay and graduate um, at higher levels than students who aren't as involved on campus. And so they, they made the shift to virtual and um, recruited members to their organizations and have creatively worked to engage with one another and build those relationships. And I think that's what's really important for us. And, and like Dr. Sapienza said, just to take a moment and pause and reevaluate um, how we've done things previously. And maybe we did things that way just because that's how we'd always done them. 
and now we have the opportunity to um, to really reflect on our organizations and our operations and activate other creative possibilities. And you know, it's something as simple as I, I have conversations with parents often. Um, and whereas before it's a, you know it's a phone call, and now we can we're all pretty comfortable with Zoom, and we can jump on a Zoom call. Or someone who can't uh, can't always attend a meeting because they're traveling for work or what have you. Now they can just dial in and and stay engaged in those sort of ways. The final so, question is: How's the f the future of Ju looking like with the COVID nineteen? Thinking about spikes coming back up again. The final question: Is it looking optimistic? Are we growing? Are we gonna? How how's the future looking like? Well, I'm an inherent optimist, so I, I am going to say that uh, the future is bright. And I can, I can say that because being at an administrative level, I sort of know the inside baseball with my colleague, Dr. Gover. So the future is bright. Um, lots of plans. We, we are not, uh, you know, sitting in a corner in a clutch mode. Um, we are forward thinking. Uh, we are looking at, at, always looking at growth opportunities. Uh, we stay very focused on on what our our core mission is, and and we we are going to lean on what our our sort of common operational plans have been, but also based on our prior discussion, adding that creative layer, entrepreneurial layer now mm, yeah. to how we've had to react to COVID, uh, I think it's just going to make us stronger and and better. So uh, we 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 cannot sit still. We have to look at how to maximize our programming for our students, how to maximize the experience for our students. We have to look towards more collaboration with other universities and consortiums and partnerships to make ourselves stronger. When a lot of people are feeling weaker, we have to look for where our, our strengths can be. So, um, you know, this is, this is not going to be business as usual. This is going to be better business. Uh, which is going to be better outcomes for you as a student, better opportunities for you as a student. So I think you should, you, you know, everyone should stay optimistic. Jacksonville University is not going anywhere. We are strong, and we will continue to uh, progress forward as each and every day go by. And I, I often have the honor and privilege of talking about this community of care and respect that we have on our campus, and there's no greater demonstration of the care and respect that we have for one another than how we've handled COVID. And we've demonstrated that we can um, successfully operate in a, in a pandemic and a crisis. And that is because of the care and concern and respect that our community has for one another. Um, and I, I think that's a testament to our students and their willingness to hold each other accountable and their willingness to support one another during this time. And that will only allow us to be more successful in the future. All right. Dean Grover, thank you very much. Dr. Sapienza, thank you so much for taking your You're time. You're welcome. And that was another successful episode of The Fishing Net Show. So what would you think about the show? Did you enjoy it? Did you learn something new? What do you think about Jacksonville University and its leaders and how, and how they are handling the pandemic? Well, other than that... Tune in for next week's episode, where we will be interviewing Jacksonville University's own president, Tim Cost. Other than that, that's all for me. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Michael Gonzalez, and I'll see you next time.